Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having a great start to your week, middle of the week, end of the week, whether you are listening to the episode on your commute to work or during your workouts. I am so grateful for you being here because this week's guest is Miss Kelly Ernst. So Kelly has an really interesting story and one that mirrors my own. She started out in the corporate world, very lucky to get a job in the corporate world in 2008 during the big crash. But after working for JP Morgan as an engineer on Wall Street, she soon burnt out. Life felt more purposeful in Austin, Texas, which is where we met. And Kelly joined a software business committed to helping kids learn, but that didn't work out long-term either. The company was shortly bought out and Kelly was faced with a choice between a severance package or moving states. And This was Kelly's reality, and she didn't choose the life of the entrepreneur. The life of the entrepreneur chose her. So she took the package and committed to starting her own business. But it wasn't as easy as it sounds. Without the safeguards of healthcare and a pension, running a business felt like a big risk. But according to Kelly's old boss, she was told that she was, quote unquote, unmanageable. So she had to find a way to figure it out. So Kelly used her coding and engineer skills to launch Redenim, an online fashion brand, which is a proprietary AI that helps women shop for the perfect pair of jeans. I love this story, not only because, one, Kelly didn't grow up saying she always wanted to be an entrepreneur. No, she went to school, she got a job, and she was dealt a hand that forced her to then choose entrepreneurship as one of the only options. And, you know, she struggled with panic attacks, a lot of shame and anxiety, and she had to figure it out along the way. I love Kelly's story more because... She didn't come, again, she didn't come from that traditional role of always wanting to be an entrepreneur. So even when she is an entrepreneur, she still brings sort of like that work-life separation and she separates her work from her passions, which are comedy and cooking and, and the things that bring her the most joy. So in this episode, we explore the role of passion, what that means, how you can elevate your happiness and how you can separate both your work from your passions and still thrive in life. Because I think most people in today's age believe that we have to work on our passions or live our passions. And you know what? I am guilty of that too. I do try to find as much passion I can in my work. So I think that's why I love this conversation so much. It was a really refreshing reminder that you don't have to find all of your passion at work. Sure, you need to like what you do. And there are times where you may not love everything about your work and you just have to draw into purpose and push through. But There are passions you can develop outside, whether it's travel or cooking or time with family or music or dancing or art. I mean, these are things that anybody can pick up no matter what your career is. It's just making a choice to experience life with everything you've got. And so if you're a corporate employee, 
trying to find the courage to make that next step, or if you're a new entrepreneur and really trying to battle some of the anxiety and the shame and and a lot of the emotional responses that come up from starting a business, or if you're a successful entrepreneur and have been working way too much and need to find that balance in life to explore passions and find that fruit that can make life just so much sweeter, this episode is for you. So I hope you enjoy it. But before we get started, if you haven't already subscribed to us on any of the podcast apps, iTunes is my personal favorite. All that means is every single Monday when we launch a new guest episode, it just drops right in your phone or your app. And if I ever launch any solo episodes or anything special for you guys, you guys hear about it immediately. So make sure to subscribe. And if you haven't already, join the free Stay Grounded Facebook group. I go live in there almost every other day and I'm creating content and there's a really vibrant community that we're building inside of us. So if you're a fan of the podcast and if you love these concepts and you need a little more direction on how to apply all the things you hear on these episodes into your day-to-day life, join the community. It is free. Just head to rajana.com forward slash stay grounded and you can learn all about what the Stay Grounded community is up to and how you can get involved for free. So anyways, check it all out. Uh, but without further ado, here is my new friend, Ms. Kelly Ernst. Yo, 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 welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all doing great. I'm super great right now because I'm sitting next to my new friend, Kelly. How are you, Kelly? I'm so good. Thanks for having me on. This is actually our first time like really meeting and sitting and talking down. So it's cool to to do this as like a totally blank slate. And I think there's something really amazing about that because we have no idea where the conversation is going to go. And um, I kind of like that a lot. So saddle up, everybody. You guys are in for a ride. All right. Well, I already talked about your journey, which I find very similar to mine in many ways. So I want to start there. Before you started your company, you worked full time, right? I did. Yes. And you were laid off. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to me about, I guess... Not why, I don't care why you were laid off. That, that, that's not relevant to the conversation. <laughs> laid but, off, not fired. It's, it's like different. Yeah. But it's not my fault. I totally get that because when I started, you know, we were, I was in oil and gas and they had ups and downs and people would get laid off. And so I, I, I resonate a lot with that. Mm-hmm. But from there you turned entrepreneur. So can you talk about the transition? Like, did you turn into an entrepreneur immediately after you left corporate or was there like a, a period of you trying to figure who you were out? You know, I'll preface all this by saying that my career started in May of 2008, right after I graduated from college. And if you remember, that was three months later, the, you know, economy completely bottomed out. And I was really lucky to get a job working for a university. All my friends were unemployed. Their parents were losing their jobs. Like there was so much uncertainty. And so I entered the workforce with this scarcity mentality that we didn't really have prior to that point. And so I had a job and it imprinted in me this feeling of like, I have a job, so I have to have a job for the rest of my life. Like this is the safe thing to do. If I've got it, we're good. It's low reward, but low risk. And so that was the mindset that my career started with. And yeah, I went through a lot of transitions. I ended up in corporate eventually. Um, I worked for JP Morgan in New York City, um, right on Wall Street. And I didn't do that cool thing where you help like rich people's money make more money. (laughs) Um, They like relegated me to what used to be a server warehouse to work as an engineer on a platform that helps 
people move money around the world. So I guess hide it. Not really. I, I'm, I'm not purporting that, but it was like heavy tech focus. And it was a lot of fun. It was my late 20s. The job was exhausting, but it kind of, it paid for yeah. a lot of fun times and ended up not being rewarding. So I just burnt out on New York and ended up here in Austin working for an ed tech company. It was awesome. The The core mission of it was about helping kids, helping them learn and creating software. So that felt way better than working in corporate finance. Yeah. But I still got to be an engineer. I still got to be a developer, write code, deploy, things like that, work with a, a tech team. I was laid off when that company was acquired by another company. I was like, I was given a choice. I was like, either I can move to Scottsdale <laughs> where the new company was headquartered, but I wasn't ready to either retire or catch menopause, which is, <laughs> I assume, <laughs> two of the things that happen to young women who go to Scottsdale. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it just seems to skew older. There's nothing wrong with that. I just wasn't ready. So I was given like that choice or, you know, take the severance package and I I took the package. I just remember feeling like it was like one day I had a job and everything figured out and I was fine. And then the next day it was like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's just gone. I had kind of been stewing on an idea for a company in the last, in the final months before this layoff occurred, but I hadn't pulled the trigger on it because again, I had that mindset of like job safe, job is dependable, job is the only thing that's going to keep my head afloat. And then all of a sudden, it's like I didn't have a choice. What was interesting about that is that's not the typical way that people enter entrepreneurship is with an opportunity like that where you really don't have a choice. It's sitting with the choice to become a full-time entrepreneur that I think is really, really difficult to grapple with because, yeah, you don't have that income. For one thing, here in the States, you don't have healthcare, um, at least affordably. That's a huge one. You can't usually contribute to your IRA or retirement. And so all of the sort of safeguards that we have with employment are gone. And I think that's the the biggest thing, keeping people from making that transition into entrepreneurship from a very safe place, even if they have savings built up. I had savings built up. I, I still have that savings built up now three years later, but that's really rare. Even with that being said, it, it was very, very scary, but I took that opportunity instead of going and getting another job, I let go of that early mindset, which was very difficult. You know, it's, it's hard to part with what you believe for so long about what safety is. Why did you. you do that? I just believed so deeply in what I was building, which is funny considering that the company that I built has gone through several pivots from the original premise that like took me out of the workforce. And I, I look back on that and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so such a bad concept from a business standpoint. I can't believe that I changed the course of my entire career for it. But I think just seeing an opportunity to build something bigger than myself. It wasn't about not wanting to answer to a boss or not wanting to be part of a corporate culture. It was it was more internal. It was more about wanting to build something cool and, and great and being able to say, like, that's mine, you know. An extension of you. <laughs> yeah. You know, because yeah. I don't have kids that that I know of. Like, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you said something really interesting, like, around sitting with the choice of entrepreneurship. And you didn't have to do that. I think most of our fears in life come from thinking about what's going to happen or thinking about things that haven't happened or 
putting ourselves and projecting what has happened into the future. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, shit, if that keeps happening, then am I going to go down this spiral of losing everything and not being safe? Um, Did you have those moments where you were on this new journey? I mean, you're, you seem, like I said, we're getting to know each other now. So this is, it's, it's, it's new, but you seem positive. You seem like you're not in that scarcity mindset anymore. How did you transition if you ever did? It's funny because I, I was just on a podcast too, talking about anxiety and how I've sort of woven that into, into my life. But this sort of proverb, I guess, that stuck with me that says that being worried about the future is anxiety. Being worried about the past is depression. But like in the present, if you're just in the present, you can't really worry, Yep. you know, and like I had to sit and think about that for a while, which was exciting for me. This is like a mental challenge. I'm like, oh, no, I get it. Like you really like worry is about some other place and time that you're dwelling on. And being in the moment, you really just have to be in action mode or you know, in action mode, if that's what you need to be doing, be like resting or recouping or or whatever. It's just being in that moment, doing what you need right then, you know, maybe based on past behavior or based on a plan that you have for the future. But everything starts with what's one inch in front of your nose and like where you go. So I could let my worry of the future completely riddle me and paralyze me. But like, if I'm being honest with myself, like my rock bottom is I have to go get a job, which is awful for me because my former boss said, you cannot be managed. Um, <laughs> like, pr- like almost proudly, he's like, you're the one that like finally did it. That made me realize that like, I'm not the man I thought I was. And I'm like, cool. I can't believe I was the one that broke you. He's like, you were immanageable take that as a compliment. Presence is one of those amazing things, you know, like for me, presence is something I constantly work on, but that usually comes from being intentional. Mm -hmm. How do you practice being intentional or how do you practice being present? Because I think that's easier said than done a lot of times, especially when you're building a business and fitting the fan Mm -hmm. or you're trying to do things you've never done before or you're putting yourself in situations that you might judge yourself in. I mean, there's just so many emotional conversations that are happening. How do you bring yourself back to what really matters? So I actually have a a really simple trick for this that I learned in a practice of how to deal with panic attacks, because those happen a lot. Something that keeps me present that is like a fail-safe way to do it is to just start either in my head or out loud naming things that I see without any quantifiers or qualifiers attached, I just say things, book, table, chair, TV. And what that does is that recalibrates my mind to, instead of thinking outward or backward, just like whatever is right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I do that for, you know, 20 seconds, a minute, like however long it takes to put my brain back into the place of this is your immediate surrounding, mental, physical, everything. And how do you put yourself right back in the middle of what that is? And it seems so simple and so dumb and people have like made fun of me for it. But not only has it helped me break out of panic attacks, which are a fun exercise in patience, but it also helps me snap out of like dreaded forward thinking, anxious thoughts, depression over things that have happened in the past, overexcitement, over caring, under caring, like 
whatever is outside of my immediate vicinity, that practice helps me snap back into it. And then, okay, it's here's the thing at hand, the person at hand, the task at hand. I do that to myself when I start to wander in conversations. Like if, I, if someone's talking to me and I start to wander off, which is a lot, uh, into the recesses of my dark and inappropriate mind, I just start doing that in my head. I'll be like, book, table, chair, TV, my boss telling me I'm unmanageable. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a fun little. You little said practice. the word patience with panic attacks. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, being patient with your, like, and I'm not just saying, like, you said a lot of different versions of that, right? Overexcitement, undercaring, overcaring. Mm-hmm. What does being patient with that mean? So I think we internalize and attach a lot of judgment to feelings and emotions as well as physiological reactions. I've had a lot of like panic episodes in my life. One lasted about a year and a half where I was having panic attacks multiple times a week in the middle of the night. Then that was like 12 years ago, maybe. Um, Recently, I had another bout of that that lasted about three weeks. And I internalized a lot of guilt and shame around that. Like there was something wrong with me or like broken with my body or I couldn't handle stress. I couldn't, you know, take it, so to say. When I learned to be patient with my own struggle with panic, that's when I started to find the light in the tunnel to resolve it, to kind of remove myself from what was going on and saying, it's okay that you're experiencing this. Mm. Uh, A lot of people do. It's a evolutionary mechanism that's helped protect us as a species for thousands of years. And so me as a young white woman with no real tangible problems compared to some of the other atrocities that happen in people's lives, you know, it still shows up in its way. Just being kind to myself about that and doing the naming thing, (laughs) those two little practices help me snap out of panic cycles when uh, I'm experiencing them. (laughs) Yeah. Can... You panic in a positive way? In that case, I wouldn't call it panic. I say panic is always a a fear, fight, flight based reaction to things versus an overexcitement, which I also don't like. I can't think of a time that I was so excited about something that I had this like euphoric, over the top reaction to it. It's something else. I think, gosh, I'm trying to think of what the antithesis of panic would be other than like drug induced euphoria which I have actually no experience. I'm super lame. <laughs> so I don't get invited to things. Like, oh, she's so boring and standard, straight edge. It just kept me alive this long. But yeah, like, I don't know, I think about like a runner's high or something. Totally like, get it. No, you know? no. And I think, I think more than anything, I just wanted, I really appreciate you kind of diving in because I think a lot of people judge themselves for having emotional responses to stress or... Mm-hmm pain or hardship or even the good times. Yeah. And I think that's just because of what society is deemed as appropriate for whatever situation you're in. Right. Well, let me ask you this. So you're now an entrepreneur, you're building teams, you've got a company. Knowing what you know now about your own emotional sort of journey through entrepreneurship, how did being an employee make you a better entrepreneur? So it, it definitely took a lot of introspection to understand why I was difficult to manage and how to bring that understanding to the table when I'm managing other people. Not that I'm like mean or subversive or 
passive aggressive or anything like that. I, I actually pride myself on keeping a really good, not emotional distance in my business, but I'm, I'm able to segment my ego out of it mm. because my ego is driven by other things outside of my company, mostly attention from strangers and people laughing at me like that, that lights me up. Like that, that drives my egos, like making people laugh. But in my company, I am part of a corporation, I guess. That's a really cold way to put it, but you have to like, look at it that way. It's like you're the figurehead of a company, not you in your own little dominion. So when I took a critical look at what made me difficult to manage and being really honest with myself about that. Like, yes, I can be argumentative to authority. I don't like to be told no. I have to do things my way. I always think I'm right, which I am. (laughs) (laughs) But when I, when I took that and I flipped it and I'm like, well, if I'm in a management position and I'm hiring a team of people because I lack the skills that they bring to the table, that's the point of hiring a team all of those things that made me a difficult employee no longer apply. I can't say no with the same authority to people who know more than I do or are better at something. So just being able to actually take a critical look and not be like, oh, my my former boss didn't know what he was talking about. Obviously, he doesn't know me. No, like sitting down and being like, oh, you are a bit of an asshole sometimes. And learning how to transpose the exact opposite of that when it came to organizing a team, raising capital, things like that. So, yeah. It's almost like separating yourself from your sense of identity. Mm-hmm. And I've realized this. I mean, I think business and entrepreneurship is one of the best fishbowls you can put yourself in. Because whether you like it or not, you're going to be exposed to conversations, people, things that force the best and worst to come out of you. And I, th- I love that you've separated ego out with just the company. What role does your ego play, in, I guess, in just you going out and living the life that you want to live? So I would say that, and I, I say ego, not like I have a huge ego or like anything like that. It's gotta, like your, yeah. my sense of self and my yep, sense yep. of what brings me joy and uh, fulfillment in this world. And that's not to say that my company doesn't do that, but not in like this holistic, personal, this is the core of who I am way. Because if we did tie that to our businesses and they failed, we as entrepreneurs would just be devastated in in droves. Like, can yep. you imagine how that would look? It would be awful. And so you do, any entrepreneur, even if your business and brand is you, you have to create a, almost a separate persona to be the figurehead and represent that. So when I pull my ego out of my company and focus on the things that that do bring me joy, like there's two of them definitively. And that one of them is cooking. I love cooking. I love cooking for people. That brings me great joy and nothing feeds my ego. Like having somebody say like, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. Um, Kelly, where's the invite? <laughs> it's, I didn't know you before this. <laughs> All right. Don't use that against me. <laughs> it's being That's used. I fair. threw the card. I threw the oh card. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I will cook. I will cook for you. So that drives me ego and that's where my ego likes to show up. And then the second one is comedy. And I just, I love making people laugh and I love doing it in a way that isn't harmful or bullying to other people. Like every low level comedian makes jokes about the Kardashians. Like we get it. It's super boring. 
like move on. If you can make people laugh based on a pure empathetic response to something that you're able to say about yourself or your condition or the way that you show up in the world, that to me is a sign of a, a truly good comedian. I think good comedy comes from three things. And one is intelligence. Another is wit and timing. And then the third is empathy. I think a lot of comedians will have two out of three and then you'll get a certain kind of comedy. But if somebody has three out of three and you make somebody laugh, it's like when they hit that spot in your knee that with the, the reflex thing where yep. it, I do that to people. I, I call it like surprise reflex test and they just kick a lot of things off coffee tables. But like when you truly make someone laugh, like it's like that's reflexive. Like they can't help it at all. And that's when you hit all three of those things. And to me, there's an intellectual practice behind comedy. I spend a lot of time writing. I spend a lot of time testing things out with people. Usually like I'll get a little tipsy and I'm like, let's go do my tight 10 with a bunch of my friends, like figure it out. But making people laugh just lights me up. I say, you know, it drives my ego to to pull back to the the premise of the question, but it's like almost beyond that. I'm like, that's how I want to be remembered as like, not the the person who started a bunch of companies. I don't want to be remembered for the children I father or, you know, the the money I raised or anything like that. I want people to be like, damn, like that bitch made me laugh, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just hearing you talk about that lights me up. Why do you think you're so drawn to delivering joy through those mediums. Because I I think it's kind of a surefire way to give something to other people when maybe you can't give money or time or resources or, you know, whatever it is. But if you can give them a little bit of joy, it costs nothing. And, you know, and it's, that's, that to me is so important because we always get, wrapped up, I think especially in America, that what we have is a zero-sum game that we have to take from others to benefit ourselves or somebody is taking from us to, you know, create their own success. And that's resulted in a lot of really successful people and a lot of really miserable people and, you know, everybody across that spectrum. And so I look at humor as one of these universal bonding agents between a lot of people and something that even in a single interaction is just such a great give, you know? And if I can't serve people in any other way, like if I can't cook you a dinner, if I made you laugh a couple times today and you walk away like, okay, today was like a little bit better because she made me laugh a couple times, like that's that's how I want to pass through this world. There's so much... I, I mean, I'm feeling the empathy and love for people just in that. I think you connect with people through smiles and laughter, and I can feel that. Like you, it's 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 beautiful. I love it. Um, how does that show up? I think I I'm still I'm gonna go back to the. I think so many people tie their identities with what they do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's business; it can be parenting. I know for a fact that my parents have gone through journeys where their idea of success has come from seeing me and my brother be successful. Yeah. Or somebody going through hobbies or, I mean, especially as a, as a kid, I used to play sports growing up. If I didn't win on the court, I was an absolute loser. And so I think it's, when did you start separating, I guess, your sense of self from your definition of success? I think you 
you really, again, have to look at it as what you're putting into what drives your success and what will ultimately be your success. And then how your happiness either aligns exactly with that or works in tandem or works against it. Because the reality is like not everybody can become an entrepreneur and start their own company. And even if they do, that doesn't guarantee that they're always going to feel aligned and completely happy in what they do. And then there are people who feel like their jobs are completely at odds with their happiness and their identities, but they have no choice because they need the things that come with the job and there's no shame in that. I think really it's about being able to have such honest conversations with yourself that you learn to to manage either way. So if you're completely aligned in your business and you wake up every day jazzed and ready to go, that's awesome. And really sit with that feeling. I, you know, I like to sit with that feeling and revel in it because I'm like, well, you know, what does this mean to me? Interpret. Then there's times when, you know, I've worked in corporate and I felt it was exactly at odds with my identity and so on and so forth. And it didn't work. And also being able to be honest with myself about that feeling instead of putting on that sort of that victim trope where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm miserable because my Wall Street job makes me work 80 hours a week, but I command six, you know, seven, six figure salary at 25 years old. God, I wish it was a seven figure salary, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, and just like being really honest with myself about like, okay, you're doing great. What's making you miserable about this? And the juxtaposition of my identity against my measure of success, which at that time was money. Oh, did I learn that money doesn't buy happiness? It buys a lot of alcohol on the Upper East Side, but not, <laughs> not a lot of happiness. And so many people live with that delusion that they think that this is their measure of success and that success must equal happiness. And they're like content to be like, oh, this is this, I'm good, I'm good. And then they're wondering why they struggle with panic attacks in the middle of the night or uncontrollable weight gain or loss or overspending like other addictions will appear. And that's when your identity is out of alignment with your idea of success or that's the case and you're not being honest with yourself about it. Because then you find other coping mechanisms when you can say, ah, my job makes me feel like shit, but I find happiness and and reward in other things. It's kind of interesting. You know, money. I don't think money buys happiness, but it does remove the stresses in life that allows happiness to exist freely. Yeah. It's one of those things, you know, because I think you can go down this interesting path where you justify not pursuing money or you justify having that because it's the root of all evil. When I think, unless you're having these hard conversations, if you, like like yourself, you're having these hard conversations with yourself, you're examining your your identity and your opinions and, and, and how you show up in the world. And then you're allowing that lens to make a decision on what you want to do. I think too many people, they make decisions on whether it's the money they want to make or the, or the things they want to do through that lens without really examining the lens Mm -hmm. and without knowing what they're doing or why they're doing it. And it's almost like they're on this rat race without getting off of it and, looking at the rat race and then saying, hey, I kind of want to be in that rat race or not. Did you ever have a, I guess a come to you moment with wanting to pursue, like once you started realizing that comedy brought you joy or Mm -hmm. cooking brought you joy, 
did you ever feel a propensity to want to pursue those things as careers? Or did you always want to have those things be kind of just things that you did naturally? Yeah, it's it's funny because it actually was a conscious decision to keep those things sacred because I know how quickly that can turn into something, at least in my experience, that I resent or brings me stress. You know, people ask me all the time, they're like, when's your next stand-up set? And I'm like, I do it when I'm called to it, when it, it feels right, when I feel funny, when I feel like I've got something good, but I don't do it before that point or outside of it because then it just brings me stress. And that's when comedy starts to become an obligation instead of something that brings joy. Just like I could never go be a chef in a, in a kitchen. Um, I would get eaten alive. Like for me, cooking is about joy and like la di da di da and like getting drunk as I do it and bringing something beautiful and delicious to my friends. And it's like, as soon as that became a job, I would resent it mm. because of all the constructs around what that meant. It, it means something that I enjoy becomes my driver of income. And that's not, that's not how I look. It's something special to me. And so knowing that my company was going to bring me those moments of resentment, which I'm just coming out of one right now, knowing that that would be the case, I said, that's what I'll do. And I'm accepting the hard and the good with the bad and all of it in a, in a package but I will keep other things in my life sacred. I'm really curious to your perspective on just people thinking they need to follow their passion in life. Well, what the difference is between, because it seems like you've differentiated the things you're passionate about with the things that are just your responsibilities and your duties and the things you need to do in life. So I guess if there was somebody listening who has been told, you know, follow your passion, live your dream, <laughs> How would you share your perspective on that idea with somebody in, in the hopes of them finding that truth for themselves? Yeah, so I think a certain portion of people can find a way to turn their passion into a way to live. And that's amazing. And it still takes work and it still takes time and dedication. And there will be ups and downs where you do resent something that you're passionate about and you do love it again. And that's great. That means everything is in alignment. But sometimes your passion, it's not necessarily something that can support you in the long run. And so I don't tell people to follow their passion when I'm in the esteemed position of telling people what to do, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> I don't tell people to follow their passion. What I ask people to do is think about what they want, not what they want to do, not what kind of job, not what kind of material wealth. I'm like, how do you, how do you want to feel? Where do you see yourself in 10 years, but minus all the, all the qualifiers? So do you see yourself in a house in the country with horses and a big dirt road? Do you see yourself feeling happy, but also driven by the responsibility of like owning a farm? Or do you see yourself in a high rise in New York City, like overlooking the Hudson, like whatever? I'm like, put yourself in that mindset, work backwards from there yeah. and see what sort of verticals in your life boil into that. And maybe it is completely linear. Maybe it is your passion equals profit equals that place and that feeling. Maybe it's a job or continuing your education or this, that, and the other. But passion plays only part of a role in, in somebody's ultimate happiness because you can't 
it doesn't exist in a vacuum yeah. of your total happiness because sometimes a shit job can still make you happy. Like I've had shit jobs where the only thing getting me there in the morning was my awesome coworkers that, mm. you know, I would have a great time with. So even the jo- though the job was bad, it gave me joy and it pushed me a little bit further towards that happiness. So that's, that's the way that I challenge people to look at it. And, you know, passion is just one thread and an intricate weaving of what's ultimately going to satisfy you. And once you start treating it that way, it removes the pressure for that to be the thing that does it for you, you know? I love that one. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I love that because I do think that when someone hears the word follow your passion, they think it's just roses and daisies all day long when that's not true. So what other elements you said you know where you derived your 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 pleasure and your and just your your desire for life from it's not always passion what are the other elements what are the other things that might give you that if it's not passion so i mean passion is a big one i will continue to say that but i think there's a couple other things i'd say like constructive challenges are something that usually bring unexpected fulfillment to my life because i have a routine that i could do every single day until the day I die and left unchecked or unchallenged, that's the way it would be. And when something comes along that's different, that's challenging, it shakes things up at first. Maybe it's uncomfortable, but then, you know, it it gets me out of that routine and into something that ultimately brings joy. Every time I've started working out, which is like multiple times, Like it has that for like like a couple months. So I'm like, oh my God, this is like so different. Like feel my strength. Like look at my arms. I'm like, I think they're getting bigger. God, look at these biceps. God, I know, right? Oh man. <laughs> and you know, and that that brings me joy because it's a challenge for me, especially like I have trouble breathing, but like working out is definitely a challenge. So I'd say passion, I'd say challenge and like unexpected circumstances. Curiosity is another one. I am insatiably curious to an extent that I know way more useless information than will ever be pertinent to me or anyone that's ever trapped in an elevator with me because they'll get it. As soon as I start to panic, I start to tell facts. (laughs) (laughs) But that's something that just, it brings me so much joy is like genuinely learning about something and outside of the echo chamber of my immediate sort of social group, like going and, and truly learning something, whether it's how to do something or how something happened. Like recently I just did like a deep dive into what went wrong with Chernobyl and what started as like one search for like Chernobyl ended up in like a three day research extravaganza where now I can explain to you in total atomical detail how these reactors worked and like what exactly went wrong. Will that ever be useful for me? I don't know. If I end up in like post-Soviet Russia, maybe I can pull together a reactor. Fine. It doesn't mean anything, but it gives me joy to learn things like that and to like to have the privilege of being able to access that kind of information and have the time to do it. That it just brings me so much joy. So passion, challenges, curiosity, occasional makeout sessions. Those work. Those work well. That's the fourth. We don't have to get into that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. I it's it's interesting. Challenge has been something that's almost turned into a north star for me. Mm. I tend to introduce challenge when things are going too well because of that 
pleasure that comes after it. Yeah. Do you find yourself screwing things up when things are going really well in pursuit of some of these different things like curiosity or passion or struggle or challenge? I mean, do you find yourself like introducing these things consciously into your life? I do. I I probably do the same thing where I almost undermine myself knowing that I'll come out on the other side yes. better and stronger. That's what flipped my company actually was me angry and frustrated sitting and thinking about ways that I could shut everything down or basically what would take us out. I'm like, what technology would destroy my company? And as I was sitting there like stewing over it and I'll share the details in a minute, it's like, that's when it came to me. I'm like, oh no, now I have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, here we go. So my company used to be a direct-to-consumer brand for women's denim, but we had a technology component where we would fill out a style profile. Our AI would, it's called the genome. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So that would match you to three pairs of jeans in our inventory. We'd send them to try them on for five days, keep what you like, send back the rest. It's basically stitch fix for pants. My my whole thing was like, get in my pants. That doesn't go over well with a female audience, just for (laughs) outside pro tip. So I'm sitting in my office thinking to myself, oh my God, like Amazon could completely obliterate us. Stitch Fix could completely obliterate us. I, I'm i tired. I resent this. How, you know, how do I, what's my out? What's the thing that kills us? And in that moment of like actively challenging and undermining my own business as a, as a clean out, it like came to me as like, oh no, I have to transition our core offering to a pure technology play. So the algorithms that help helped us find fit in a direct-to-consumer offering, I'm like, how do I digitize those entirely and make them available to end consumers so that when they shop, they can do it empowered by their own data. In that moment of like strife, active undermining of my own dream, I landed on an entirely new concept that's now being backed by computer scientists here in Austin out of UT that's raising investor money and and building out a team. And I'm like, that came from doing exactly that, where I think a lot of people would resist attempting to rock the boat, especially if you can help it because you're the one doing it. But, you know, I challenged, I challenged people to challenge themselves. It's almost like as long as you're doing things out of a need for personal growth, you really can't go wrong. Right. Even all the things you mentioned, pursuing passion is an element of challenging yourself to experience a level of joy. Experiencing challenge and introducing challenge is almost like a gateway for you to see a better you. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is this tool for learning and growing. Mm-hmm. And making out is just great for making out. Right, exactly. Right? It's it's just a, it serves one. no practical the, purpose. There's no I practical purpose. It <laughs> but it all comes full circle to us being on this amazing journey to just create and experience the best versions of ourselves mm-hmm. that we can whatever that might look like. And it doesn't have to be through any one vehicle, like you mentioned, there can be so many, but I think that's part of the game. It's figuring out what those vehicles are, trying a bunch of stuff. There's like a great Paolo, I don't even know how you say his name, Paolo Soelo. So, so you know what I'm talking about? I'm gonna leave that to you. Okay, he wrote a book called The Alchemist (laughs) and there's this uh, quote by him. It's like, life is a lot like cooking before you settle down and figure out what you like, try a bit of everything. Mm -hmm. 
And I think you're doing that in one of the most brilliant ways I can possibly see. <laughs> I mean, you've got a business that you're redefining and growing and creating. You pursue passions on the side. You like to fuck shit up. Like you're, <laughs> you're, you're, I love it. And I'm very grateful that we are friends now. Yeah. It's going to be an amazing journey. It's going to have some ups and downs. You're probably going to resent me, but it's all about our happiness in the end. Yeah. I'm super excited. Kelly, if anybody listening wanted to uh, learn more about you, get in touch with you and just follow the journey, how do they do that? So I would say the best way to follow me personally right now, because as part of our company pivot, we're actually reincorporating a new company. It does not have a name yet. So I'm like, oh, you can't go to like this.com anymore, which sucks. I'm like, oh, you don't, you don't realize how dependent you are on that as part of your identity. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fun fact. But I'm best found on Instagram. You can follow me at Kelly Florence, spelled like the city in Italy with an additional E at the end to represent my last name. So it looks like Kelly Florence, which is usually how I leave rooms is making that noise. I'm like, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope that's helpful. I, you might have to like add that in the description and be like, that wasn't helpful at all. And nobody's going to find you. Yeah. No worries, guys. All of these will be placed in the show notes and you can always just Google Kelly, the gene lady, and that'll like <laughs> show something up. <laughs> My criminal record. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> um, all right, Kelly. Like I said, I'm so grateful you were here. Um, you. I got one last question for you. Mm -hmm. In the midst of all the things you're up to and everything you're doing, how do you stay grounded? Again, it's not, you know, I, I always have these little practical tip things that I do. And this is another one that's a little less esoteric than anything. How do I stay grounded? And the best way for me is to be respectful of my time and ask that other people be respective, uh, respectful of that as well. And keeping sacred the the time that I spend in this world, how I spend it, where I spend it. And that just really keeps me feeling like, yeah, I don't have entire control over everything. But the one thing I have a little bit of control over is my time. And that keeps me really, really grounded and feeling like I've got two feet on the ground and I have some command of this earth. Damn, mic drop. I love it. <laughs> Kelly, you are awesome. High Thank five. You. High five up top. Keep rocking it. But everybody, that is a wrap <laughs> for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Kelly. And from us, stay grounded. Chat soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded. <laughs>